I am Plot on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Camilla Gibb joins me again. The acclaimed writer has a new novel out, The Relatives. I quite enjoyed it. It's a book set in the present that looks at the uh, meaning of family. We have three stories alternating in the book. Lila is the first character we meet. She's a social worker who is working with a young girl who doesn't speak. Lila's life is a mess, professionally and otherwise, and she's trying to figure things out. Whether being a parent is a possibility is something she contends with. Another character we meet is Tess. She's a single parent to Max, whom she co-parents with Emily. They've split up, and there's a new complication in their relationship. Then there's Adam, who we don't really know. I'll ask Camilla about him and the others, and as expected, there's a connection between them. They uh, each talk or live out the role of parent, and it's uh, such a thoughtful meditation on who is a parent and what is considered a parent. The book also deals with PTSD as well as fertility law which uh, brings up largely new considerations. Camilla Gibb is the author of the novels Mouthing the Words, The Petty Details of So-and-So's Life, Sweetness in the Belly, and The Beauty of Humanity Movement, which she was uh, first on the show with back in 2010. She returned in 2015, just as her best-selling memoir, This Is Happy, was released. Visit CamillaGibb.com for more, and her Twitter handle is at Camilla underscore Gibb. This new book is published by Doubleday, Please welcome back to the Plant Online Program, Camilla Gibb. Dr. Gibb, good morning. Good morning. Nice to be back uh, talking to you. Nice to, nice to talk to you again, yeah. So I've got a bunch of questions um, that um, that I, I want to ask you, but um, it'll give away parts of the book. Um, the title of the book is, is The Relative, so, so we're to assume from the title that they're connected somehow, I guess. That's fair. That's fair as an assumption. <laughs> yeah, but it's also about, uh, you know, how people are making families. Mm. Um, and what what it you know whether that's biological or or through you know other means. Yeah. So what ca- what came first for you as, as you were writing the relatives? Was it the characters, or, or were it these these themes that like uh, fertility law, uh, PTSD, social work, even uh, were these things that you had thought about, and or were the characters the first things that came to mind? Say. Uh, I would say the characters. Actually, I would say that. Um, Lila was the first character who came to me, and I knew she was a social worker who'd gotten herself into trouble mm-hmm. in the past by, for, you know, crossing boundaries with clients, in particular with children, and I didn't know what that was about. Yeah. And, um, and I also had this image of a child who was found wandering um, in High Park, who's, you know, the question of who was this child, and this child didn't speak, so this was sort of the mystery for her. And that's really where it started, but I'd also thought a lot about, I'd also been thinking about a lot of these issues, about relatedness and about different ways in which we make family and new reproductive technologies. And um, so I think I had Adam next as a character. Um, And he he seemed, I mean, weirdly, he's kind of the least knowable of all the characters, and yet I feel the closest to him. Really? Yeah. yeah. He's, he, I don't think he even knows himself, really. And that must have been the fun part about writing him. Um, yeah. Yeah, so sort of the challenge is that, you know, I mean, I thought a lot about PTSD and did some research as to, you know, is this what he's going through? Why is he so restless? Why can't he settle in any place? Um, he's, he's kidnapped uh-huh. at, uh, early on and um, ends up, in a room, effectively, with a very strange Norwegian man. 
and these kind of notions of like, you know, is this Norwegian man real? Or is it something his mind has cooked up? I, yeah. I really enjoyed sort of exploring um, the ambiguities in his life and in his character. Um, I, I noticed that w- w- um, the, the other characters, Lila, Tess, and another one that we get to hear from later, um, mm. are written in their own voice, yet Adams is not. Why was that? I think for Adam, because he is so remote both from himself and from the people around him, I wanted to keep him at, a, at more of a remove. Mm. And so we have him in the third person. Um whereas the others are all first person. I guess that's why I felt like I didn't get to know him as much as I thought I would. And But, but the other yeah. thing, too, is, I mean, when, you, when when something's written in the first person, I'm always reading it and doubting that they're telling me the truth, too. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that be fair. That, that, I think that's fair, whether regard, regardless of whether it's first or third person, but, um, whether they're actually telling the truth themselves, let alone others. Yeah. But I did really want to keep him at a distance, especially because you know he has a role to play in the other stories, and it's not a and, and he won't ever be known or yeah. knowable to yeah. those others. Well, let's talk about um, uh, Robin because you, you mentioned her already, and, and I, I, I think it's one of the more fascinating characters uh, in mm-hmm. the book because she doesn't say anything. Um, how old is she? She's eleven. Yeah. Well, she, that's what they, they take her for, 11. Yeah, I guess it'd be, it's, she's tall to be 11, I guess, or tall enough to be tall, 11, right? Yeah. And, and I think it was dental records, too, mm. um, that they, they kind of determined she must be around 11. Yeah. And so so how does, so Lila is a, is a counselor, is she? She's a social worker. Social worker, okay. Who, who works with a special, they work, she works at a clinic where they deal with cases where um, um, people have run into the law run into trouble with the law usually mm-hmm. um, and in this case it's it's slightly different but um, um, so it's a kind of team assessment and she doesn't want to take on this child because the last time she took on a child it, it, it she almost lost her job actually mm-hmm. but um, she does and she has to find a way to communicate with her um, which starts to happen I think through music really and, and all the stuff that's going on in her own life, her, her mm-hmm. mother's died. Um, she's she's got to sort of deal with that. Um, mm-hmm. She's got uh, a drinking problem. Um, mm-hmm. This previous stuff that that happened with with, with I guess a previous client. Um, her life is a bit of a mess, then, isn't it? Yeah, and she's um, she's moving into she's clearing out her mother's apartment after her mother died. She was kind of not particularly close to her mother. Her mother was older and adopted her. Uh-huh. Her parents were older and adopted her, and it's kind of, that story is a bit complicated and painful for her. And she's, she's you know, thinking I should be a grown-up. I should probably move into my mother's apartment in a sensible neighborhood and not be living like a, you know, a teenager. Um, she's trying to figure it out. I had to chuckle when when she finally decides to move into the mother's apartment, and uh, all of her furniture gets brought in, and she realizes that it doesn't really match. Um, and and that, no. that's another awakening moment for her that she should grow up, right? She should grow up, and she's just hauled all this kind of shabby stuff. 
stuff from her, you know, extended adolescence in a way. Yeah. And um, she's like, yeah, now I, and she's, she's looking forward to a future, you know, in this new space as a, as a, I don't know, a more grown up person. Yeah. Um, the, um, uh, another character in, in the book is Tess, and, and she has a son. How old is he? He's six. I see. And, and so she's raising him. Um, she's not really a single mother, is she? Well, they are they're, uh, separated mothers, divorced mothers. Mm-hmm. So uh, what would you call it? A solo parent, I guess, in a sense. Co-parenting, yeah. A solo yeah, parent. Yeah, co- solo parenting. Yeah, that's a, that's solo a good parenting. Term. Yeah. yeah. And the, 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 I was going to ask you because because you meant, uh, we, we just talked about um, uh, Lila's mother. Um, mm-hmm. Does motherhood um, come easy for Tess? No, it's much more it's much more natural it seems for her partner Emily. And um, I guess there were circumstances why, why Tess ended up. There are circumstances. Yeah. She she was the biological mother right and the circumstances that in there there's some fertility limitations on emily's part and so tess kind of reluctantly gives herself over to all okay i'll do this for the team Mm -hmm. and um but it's it's a it's a kind of a both a physical and a psychological struggle for her um it's not how she sees herself and but there's no question she loves her son, um, but she didn't doesn't want to do it again. Yeah. And of course, Emily does. Even though they're separated, they they have a number of embryos still in storage. Yeah. So so while while um, these two stories are playing, what's happening to Adam? Uh, you you've alluded to, to him already. Uh, mm-hmm. What's happening to him? But but it it, it often gets. Brutal, as as we read his chapter say. Mm-hmm. So Adam has been is captive in apparently in Somalia. I mean, all we ever see him is in a is in a room. Mm-hmm. He was he's he's apparently been working as an aid aid, aid worker mm-hmm. um, in a refugee camp across the border in Ethiopia when he's kidnapped and. Everything that we know about him is taking place really in his head in that room and in the interaction he has with the strange Norwegian and um, a younger boy who's working in that household compound who he sort of befriends and thinks, you know, you should be in school somewhere. Um, So, again, a kind of curiously a sort of a relationship with a child develops. And um, meanwhile... He has a, a girlfriend who presumably is working on trying to get him out because um, she's been contacted. They, they want a ransom. Uh-huh. Um, I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a moment, though, um, while he's being held captive where I forget how this comes up, but Adam says um, his view on parenting is that a parent must be present. Mm-hmm. in one's life to be considered a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's one of the themes in the book is, is um, you know, because of the way that, that um, um, you know, you, you talk about fertility law, 
and mm -hmm. all this technology. The other thing I've noticed as I was reading the book how expensive all of this is, even oh. just storing embryos or... or, or um, Definitely. I guess if one donates sperm in this country, you don't get paid for it, but I guess in America, I mean, that's how Adam, I guess, paid, exactly. paid through school, yeah. right? That's right, yeah. We don't pay for any kind of, I guess, biological material here, like blood donation isn't uh -huh. compensated as well, yeah. whereas in the U.S. it is. And that raises troubling <laughs> questions, too. Yeah, all these ethical things that one one is thinking about is is the reading of the book as well. Um, so, in terms of of the idea of of uh, who is a parent, um, mm -hmm. was that something that you were thinking about? And, and is is that why that these things are tackled in in the relatives? Um, yes, I think so. But I was also thinking about you know on the on the flip side of it that um, sometimes it, the biological ties force us oblige us to have relationships that might not be the best for us too. Mm. Right, um, yeah. and and so it, it, there's a there's some something in the middle there, which is you know people, the people who care about your well-being and help to raise you, as I would call it, your parents. And I think Adam sort of shares that view, even though he's someone he has no interest in having children, and he he was a sperm donor in his um, I guess early thirty late twenties early thirties as a way. of paying his way through graduate school. Mm -hmm. Very pragmatic thing from his perspective. Um, no attachment to sort of what the outcome might be and doesn't consider himself, you know, kind of a father to, to anyone. Um, he's to, he says, I'm just a guy who uh, donated something I've wasted a lot of in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. Yeah, so that, I think those questions is like, and you know, then you have this situation with Emily and Tess, which is interesting because although Tess was the, it was Tess's eggs, yeah. donor sperm, Tess was the kind of gestational character uh, carrier, yeah. but Emily is just as much a mother in the eyes of the law, but also in ter terms of, uh, you know, Max, their Indeed. child. Yeah, yeah. Mm hmm Yeah. It, it, so it's it's. Fertile ground, I shouldn't say that yeah. word. Yeah. Um, there's so many possibilities, right? And yeah. I, I kind of wanted to, I wanted to explore different iterations of this. I guess of a couple of conflicts, kind of nature versus nurture, but also conflicts around how do we, you know, how families are complicated because I think every, individuals have individual needs, and then there are collective needs. And so how do we negotiate those tensions? Yeah, yeah. The, the other thing I noticed is um, um, I asked you a moment ago about Lila and Tess's path to motherhood. Um, mm -hmm. their, their own mothers, I guess, play a role in that. And, and even though they're not seen, I mean, even with Adam, they, they, they've played their own parts. I mean, there's a moment where Adam is, um, I don't know how to describe this, um, the subject of his mother comes up and he reacts to it one way mm -hmm. or the other. Um, I, I found that interesting, and I'm wondering what, um, I, I guess having read the book, I'm wondering what part these mothers uh, have played in the lives of these three people. The mothers of the... Uh, of, yeah. of Lila, the, Tess, of and Adam, characters. yeah. Well, that's a really good question. Let me just think about them in comparative terms. We have Lila, who was given up for adoption mm -hmm. by a mother, um, no reference to a father, and then adopted by a couple. And she doesn't form a kind of bond 
with her adoptive mother. She does with the adoptive father, but then he dies long before the mother does. Um, so I, I think there's a kind of motherlessness about her. Mm-hmm. Um, Tess has a mother who was increasingly mentally ill, and her she's much closer and can trust her father. Emily, her partner, um, is, is estranged because of her sexuality, estranged from her family. Mm-hmm. Adam has a mother who was a rock, but then she died. Um, and a father who who also, well, who killed himself when he was quite young. Yeah. So, they're, to a large extent, I think they're quite orphans, and there's no... There are no mothers that that are are sort of continue. There are no grandmothers. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And that's what I, I found. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I found fascinating because um, um, certainly uh, Tess, uh, you look at her and you can see, you know, that the, the, um, you know, being a parent is not easy. I'm not a parent myself, but I, I can assume that it, it, it's not. Um, and yet, she seems well-suited for the role, if you will. It's interesting. Or, or she, she plays the role well, I, I should say, because it's not without challenges, obviously. Yeah, um, I think I think for Tess, she sort of adopts, um, you know, she likes kind of roughhousing with him. She likes the physical aspects. She's probably more masculine identified in some ways. Um, so there are ways in which she can parent, even though i do not sure if she, would she call it mothering? Parenting, certainly. Yeah, there was one great moment in the car where, um, I forget what um, she does now, but I guess she's a teacher, isn't she? And She's a, yeah, geography professor. Yeah, and um, Max notices, obviously, because kids are pretty smart, um, notices what's going on between his two parents, and um, he asks her if, um, or what she's like with her students. That's right. He says, you don't sound like mine. Yeah, you don't yeah. sound normal when you talk to You don't sound like you, yeah. You don't sound like you. And she says, well, what do I sound like? And he said, it's like, like you're a professor. And, um, and then he asks her, are your students scared of you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. It's such a great question because then she says... Um, yeah, you'd never have to worry about that, I think. Doesn't she say that? I can't remember. Yeah, she says something like, maybe some of the yeah. time, but you never have to worry about yeah, that. Yeah, which, which I thought was a great moment as, as a parent um, uh, because that, that, that obviously, you know, there, there's, it establishes a relationship, I guess, if you will. And it, it, it allows you to sort of recognize your parent as a separate human, mm-hmm. you know, who they are in the, as a as a grown-up, aside from being your parent. Um, and, yeah, I I, I think their relationship is quite sweet. And I remember once she's, she's waiting, I think it's a, he has a baseball practice and it's raining. Again, she's in the car. And she's like, I need to get out there and stand among the other dads. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the dads who she relates more. She's yeah. like, oh, we just compare apps on our iPhones, and we pretty much wear the same shoes. <laughs> um, 
I, I mentioned earlier that, that you, you do talk about fertility law, um, which I found fascinating as, as I was reading the book because it, it's obviously complex, and I, I enjoyed the conversations that mm. um, um, that uh, Tess has with, with uh, her lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, was that something that you had to research, I guess, in, in the course of writing the book? It was. I mean, I was aware of some of it, mm-hmm. but I, I, and there have been cases that I, you know, in the news that I, I think the most famous one probably was Sophia. Sophia Vergara from Modern that's Family. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um, where they had, I guess, was it frozen embryos? Yeah, I think, I think it was. Yeah, and I guess her her former uh, partner uh, yeah. felt that he had, um, I guess, some right to them. That's right, and I think in that case, if I'm not mistaken, um, they split the embryos. I mean, not literally one embryo, but if mm-hmm. you have four, yeah, you yeah. get two each. And it's it's kind of fascinating legal and ethical territory. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit Wild Westy. I don't shouldn't say that. It's a bit um, uncharted. Yeah, uncharted. Cut out Wild Westy. Um, that has racist, I think, or colonial sure, yeah, okay, yeah, overtones. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, uncharted. And um, and in Canada, too, there's not a lot of legal precedent. So these questions arise, like, do we treat genetic material, whether we've both contributed, it, contributed to it or whether one has contributed, but with material with the... Um, I'm sure there's other material that would fall into this, like stem cells or something. Um, but we treat, do we treat this just like property to be, be divided, like like a marital asset that gets divided, or is it different because this has potential to make a human? And and these questions of ownership that don't necessarily come into play when you're all in love and making grand plans for your family. Yeah. Um, I find it kind of fascinating terrain and. In many ways, uh, I don't think the law has caught up with the realities of how we are creating families. I was yeah. also in, interested, you know, from the legal standpoint, too, um, it's, again, something I researched. I was really interested in the fact that um, there's, there's no, the idea of being an anonymous donor, mm-hmm. there's been a real movement towards um you know, knowing your parentage as a as a human right. Yeah. And so, what does that that mean in terms of the anonymity of a donor? It means yeah. different things in different countries right now. Yeah, that's a fascinating thing because I mean, um, in, in some countries, the access to information is mm-hmm. is instant. That's right. um, and then in other countries, it's it's um, unavailable altogether. That's right. And we are, um, surpri- U.S. and Canada are surprisingly um, kind of quiet on this front. Yeah. We, we continue to support anonymous donations. And, I mean, it really, I think, amongst, you know, adoptees or within families where you know, the 60s too. Children were taken away. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you can see all these precedents where we sh- everyone should have a legal right. Um, but then, then the, in the case of donor sperm, there tend to be fewer donors. 
as a want to um, mandate that anonymity isn't um, isn't possible any longer. Yeah. yeah. Um, was it was it um, the the other question I had in, in terms of of uh, the process of writing this book. Um, how does it work? Because the, the, the chapters alternate between the voices. Um, mm. do, do you write one of the? Did you write it the same way that we read it, or, or do you say write one character out and then and then sort of divide it and then put the other ones in later? How does that work? Um, I think the putting all the pieces together came quite late, um, and I mostly wrote those stories independently of each other but with a kind of with a notion of how they fit together but not the specifics so then I kind of broke them up into pieces and sort of you know looked at what kind of echoed with what um, and um, so they've, in some ways they were they were in some ways they were written in tandem but mm-hmm. separately that makes sense. Yeah, because it, it just comes together um, so well, even though um, you know they they are the, the realities are broken up and then they're, they're episodic, if you will, and, and the, you know they end yeah. on, a, on a moment where you want to know what happens next, but then uh, you have to wait a little bit, I guess. Yeah, and there is um, um, that that penultimate chapter. Yeah, what, that I think um, that was a later decision. Uh, I guess, and a necessary one to, to pull them all yeah, together. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, not in any way to, um, but I was thinking of how David Mitchell had written Cloud Atlas. Mm-hmm. So that was like seven different stories. And he, it was like, they were like novellas, and he kind of broke them at the point where you just want to know more. And you didn't really see what the relationship was between the seven until the second half, where he gives you the second half of each of those novellas. Um, and then he does kind of bring it together. Um, but you travel way far away from mm-hmm. where you began. Um, and he somehow manages to, to pull off something that, uh, that holds together, that is a whole. Not that that was my model, but I was just thinking of that idea of, uh, you know, breaking these stories at the point of kind of peak tension in a way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it fun living with these characters? Oh, I still live with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're not always fun, but yes, I I do still live with them. I I um I think you know this is my, the slowest book I've ever written, and so I think I was with them for longer. And even though there are fewer words on the page. Um, Obviously, you can imagine how many thousands of pages went into the bin. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I still... The, the the novel does leave you with certain questions. Yeah. And I think those questions remain with me, um, and the possibilities, which are not always... I have multiple possibilities in my head for what has happened in the end. <laughs> sure, I do too. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, yeah. That's, those are some of the questions I wanted to bring up, but I, I shouldn't because people listening <laughs> to us will, will will not have read the book yet. Um, yeah. The other thing is, I was thinking about, it, and this is a, a terrible way to look at, at characters, is, is uh, because some people obviously do, um, is uh, whether they like the characters or not. And I, I try not to read things nowadays with that in mind because I, you know that's not 
a really good gauge of, of how good a book is or, or how enjoyable the, the process of reading a book should be. Um, but um, because you've lived with them as you have and, and as long as you have, um, I, I read one review where he said, uh, I don't actually, I don't know what who the person was now, uh, who said that they didn't like um, the, the characters were not altogether likable mm-hmm. at all. Um, so when you when you live with them as you do, what's mm-hmm. that like? Well, I mean, some of them you kind of encourage them to be more likable, and they just resist it. <laughs> I've had this experience in other books too, where with sweetness in the belly. Um, Lily was really mean to this kind of suitor who was kind of there for her at the end of that story. And I kept saying to her, like, be nicer. He's a perfectly decent man. But she was so mean to him. Mm-hmm. And so I had to kind of swaddle her back. But she's still prickly and unlikable. And in this in this book, I yeah, there were, there were characters, one in particular, Tess, who I really struggled with. Um, I tried. It took me a long time to truly empathize with her. Hmm. Um, and that's the difference, I think. You need to, even if they're prickly and unlikable, I think the ability to empathize with them, you know, and to kind of understand why it is they, the way they are um, is more important to me than likability. So when you say that they're, they're still with you, does it mm-hmm. mean that you'll write about them again? I mean, yeah, there there are ways in which I feel like I I I would I would happily spend more time with them. Uh-huh. Um, I, but I think the most obvious story that would follow from this one is okay, who are these children? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I? I don't know that I want to write that story. So. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I have an idea of what, what I'd like to, to see, and, and I'm not going to say it because I think it's going to spoil Tell something. Me. Well, I think um, <laughs> not, not necessarily know the, the children, but know the people as the, the, the children are, are, are born, even, or just knowing what their, how their lives are changed with these children coming into them. Uh, okay. Yeah. Just sort of the immediate future, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, so this goes into the question as to what's next. Um, are, are you working on something else now? I have been sort of chipping away at some essays for quite a long time. I would say this year and a bit has been very, um, you know, for us all uh-huh. challenging. And for me, it's the solo parenting <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that um, you know, and the, the schooling from home. Not homeschooling, but the online schooling that has uh, kind of hijacked some of my time for writing. And um, that I would carry on with them. They seem to be about language a lot. They seem to be essays really about language, about, you know, ways we communicate and about second language acquisition and, um, and also what we do, also about silence. Yeah. And what we what we do in the absence of words, which has kind of been a story of this past year, in some ways. Yeah. Well, would you uh, think about memoir writing again? Mm, I mean, I guess in some ways these essays are since it, there's, there's autobiographical 
source material that kind of compels me in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. So it's it's in there. Um, yeah, but I think I need a little more. Not that memory memoir has to be dramatic, but I think I'd need a bit more life before I I had something new to say. Well, until until then, um, we, we <laughs> urge people to to read this book because it, it, it's a um, the beautiful stories in this um, book, and um, it, it's a, an enjoyable one at that. Congratulations on, on its publication, and, and continued good luck with it. I've enjoyed the chat again. Thank you so much, Joseph. I always enjoy talking with you. The book is called The Relatives. It is published by Doubleday. Visit CamillaGibb.com for more. And, of course, her Twitter handle is at Camilla underscore Gibb. Camilla Gibb, join me on the line from Toronto, Ontario, and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plata.